Well, we uh, come again to uh, Zechariah chapter uh, 11, and uh, I gave you a homework assignment to figure out some of the things about uh, uh, the prophecy that's later on. Uh, but in my study, I just didn't get that far. So uh, you have a reprieve. And if your reaction was, what homework assignment, then, then uh, that, that's, that's good news for you. So we looked at the first three verses of Zechariah chapter 11. The, the focus is uh, false shepherds. We began to look at the descriptive call to Zechariah, uh, uh, shepherd uh, the flock that's going to be destroyed. Verse 4 and verse 7 is the, uh, is the answer of the call. Uh, we saw that God sovereignly called him. There was personal communication. His command concerned a flock that was doomed to slaughter. I believe we touched on verse 5, some of the results that came from uh, these shepherds, uh, those who buy them, slaughter them, and are not held guilty, and each of those who sell them says, Blessed be Yahweh. Indeed, I've become rich, and their own shepherds do not spare them. Uh, it has been looked at by commentators as just a commercial enterprise, a physical shepherd with physical sheep who really doesn't care about them, uh, I believe in our context, and the, the, the further instruction that these are false shepherds. They become rich, but they say, it's God's blessing on my ministry, basically, and really it's a very familiar scene. Uh, their own shepherds do not spare them. It's a, a very uh, great contrast to Christ and what he does for the sheep. Uh, verse uh, 6 was a, a, another heading, Yahweh's work of judgment. And uh, remember, we're thinking in the past, in the present, and the future. Uh, in the past, he told them what he would do. In the present, he had worked it out. They're, they're in a land that was decimated by judgment. And, and in, in the future, we'll see that the same things uh, are going to happen. Uh, Yahweh declares, surely these things will come to pass. He says, behold, uh, take notice. And uh, you see what he is going to bring, verse 6. I will no longer spare the inhabitants of the land, declares Yahweh. But behold, I will cause the men to fall, each into another's hand and into the hand of his king. So we'll, we'll look at that today. The, the, uh, the, the nation of Israel had all sorts of factions and things, and then they eventually fall into the hand of Rome. And they will crush the land, and I will not deliver them uh, from their hand. That's the uh, summary. Uh, I, I ended up with a number of um, quotes from T.V. Moore in my study. I, I believe that he has, uh, has hit the nail on the head on a number of occasions. But you remember the idea uh, of Greece coming and taking over and Rome coming and taking over. Greece took over, and Greece brought culture. They brought language. They brought instruction. They brought philosophy. Rome came over, and they just brought dominance. Uh, we'll, we'll see in some of the passage. There's Roman soldiers all over the place. They, are, they, they put you down, and then they monitor and watch over you and restrict uh, what you do. Uh, Moore goes back to verses 1 through 3 and then 4 through 6 and describes it 
like this, the references to that desolating storm of civil war that caused the calling in of the Romans, whose legions swept like a whirlwind of steel over the land, and finally prostrated every vestige of independent authority. That's the Roman way. Greeks said, here, you know, you, you have your culture, we'll have ours, but we think ours is good. There's uh, no surprise that the, the New Testament is in Greek. He references those trees that we looked at. From the cedar of Lebanon to the lowliest cypress, from the peaceful shepherd to the lion-like spirit that refused to be subdued and humbled, the whole land came beneath the mighty power of Rome. It was this state of deep prostration that constituted the dark hour before the dawn, the fullness of time on the arrival of which the great shepherd was to come. And that is, that's really what we're looking at, the, the coming of the Messiah. Chapter 9, remember, your king is coming. This is the way he's coming. And, uh, and uh, uh, the writers shift, and I believe it's right to shift. This is about the, the true shepherd that's coming. This is all about Christ. Concerning this judgment in verse 6, he says, Their wickedness could no longer be borne, but must be arrested either by penitence at the call of Christ or punishment at the sound of the at the at the sword rather of the Roman. There is only two ways to deal with it in the future. You believe in Christ or Rome comes again and wipes everything everything out. More goes on to say civil war and intestine discord. He, he uses intestines, but it, it's talking about the internal state of the country. Intestine discord are delineated in each man being given into the hand of his neighbor, while the Roman oppression is indicated by the hand of the king. Both these were fulfilled in those fearful times when the bloody factions that wasted the land found but a single bond of union, and that in their common hate of their rightful king and their prophetic cry, we have no king but Caesar. I, I think he hits the nail right on the head. All this turmoil, internal, all this turmoil, the, the Romans are in charge, and, and yet they reject the Messiah, and they say we have no king but Caesar. Uh, that is reason for God's judgment to come. Multiple commentators note that verse. We have no king uh, but Caesar. There's scriptural testimony to this internal discord. You remember Barabbas. He was a murderer in an insurrection. Uh, one of the disciples was called a zealot. Uh, Caiaphas said, it's better for you that one man should die. Get rid of the leader. Gamaliel, in Acts chapter 6, he knew the same principle. The disciples preach and teach. They, they get mad at them and they say, we, we got to get rid of these guys. And he says, hey, don't worry. Remember what happened to Thutis and the 400 men that followed him. He got killed and they disappeared. Remember what happened to uh, Judas of Galilee. He perished and all those guys were gone. Uh, the Pharisees try to keep their political uh, balance and their uh, oppressive power. There's this winding snake of politics to get Jesus crucified. It says they stirred up the people. This internal discord, 
Who do men say that I am? Jesus says. Oh, some say this, some say that, some say this, some say that. It carried all the way through. John chapter 7, he goes to the feast. People are saying, oh, he's a prophet. There's no doubt. Nobody spoke like this. And then they say, well, go see. No prophet comes from Galilee. So there's internal discord. There's these men rising up and, and saying, well, you're not a real Israelite. You got to pick up arms. You got to get rid of these guys. You got to get rid of Rome. Internal discord. They fall into one other's hands. Some people say this and some people say that. But the Roman dominance is, is right there all the time. Jesus is born in Bethlehem because there went out a decree that everybody should go to the city and be counted. They had to obey an edict from Rome. Luke 3, 14 always fascinated me. The ministry of John the Baptist and soldiers were also questioning him saying, what should we also do? Repentant soldiers, what were they doing there in the first place? Oh, you want to go hear some preaching? No, no, no. They were sent there. Go find out what's happening over at the Jordan. Go find out. And one time they were sent and they were told, go get John the Baptist and put him in jail. What were soldiers doing by the Jordan? They were making sure that things were going according to Rome. Matthew 8, verse 5, a centurion came to him, pleading with him. The, the centurion had a, a servant that was beloved. But a centurion represents a hundred other soldiers. It's one guy coming, one guy pleading, but there's a hundred soldiers someplace. Pre-crucifixion, hundreds of soldiers in Jerusalem. This whole battalion got together. They were all over the place. John 18, Jesus' arrest. They brought a band of soldiers everywhere. Matthew 15, 39. And when the centurion who was standing in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was God's son. But he's a centurion. There was, 90, there was 100 other soldiers there. The centurion didn't go by himself to watch the crucifixion. He brought his men. Let's go find out what's going on. Let's go outside the city. We got to make sure nothing happens. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. God has mercy on these men. Cornelius is a centurion, it says, from the Italian cohort. But there's a hundred men represented by this guy. And they oppressed the nation. And they, they held it down. And God says, and they will crush the land, and I will not deliver them from their hand. And crushing is what the Romans did. They crushed their opponents. I will cause the men to fall. I will not deliver them, God says. Complete destruction that cannot be stopped. The entire political, religious, and cultural system of the Jews was destroyed. No more temple. No more worship. No, think of it. It's astonishing. And for the future, the Jewish system is gone. And then after that, Rome is conquered and destroyed. And the kingdom of the true shepherd is the only kingdom that continues to grow. And that leads us to these other verses where God says, I'm going to get rid of the shepherds. I'm going to get rid of this other system. And uh, here we get to verse 7. And uh, Zechariah answers the call. This is the completion of uh, verse 4. Uh, and remember, this is an, an acted parable. 
God tells him what to do, like he told Isaiah, uh, walk around naked, or Ezekiel was told to lay on his side, or, or different things. Jeremiah was told, uh, take this piece of cloth and put it someplace, and then go back and get it. These are uh, enacted parables. But, but here, it's the Zechariah as the prophet and Jesus as the Messiah. We could see them uh, side by side because it's prophetic and uh, it's messianic. There's obedience in detail in Zechariah. So I shepherded the flock doomed to slaughter. That was uh, Yahweh's exact command and description of the flock and the commission. But Zechariah expands it with the second clause there, the description, which is translated, uh, hence, the afflicted of the flock. And there's various translations. You probably have different ones. Uh, the flock that was oppressed, in particular, the poor of the flock. Even you, O poor of the flock, I believe is the, the King James, uh, the poor of the flock. And the footnote in the ASV says, the most miserable of the flock. So the ESV follows a, a pattern of the, the physical, and it says those who were slaughtered or afflicted by the sheep traders. That connects with verse 5, where they kill the sheep and they make a profit. I, I believe that it's, it, it's spiritually intended. The word used for afflicted or trouble is, is used around 40 times in the Old Testament. And so I don't, I don't think that we can say, well, that's... A, a sheep trader, but the idea is you shepherd the whole flock, which includes the oppressed and the poor ones of the flock. Or, hence, if you shepherd them all, you shepherd the afflicted ones. Zechariah and Christ shepherd all that they might save some, the remnant or true believers. Jesus says, I know my sheep. He doesn't say everybody is my sheep, but he says, I know uh, who they are. And, and so that is the, uh, the answer to the call. Uh, that extra phrase, I shepherded everybody, including uh, uh, these people. Including, you might say, in our congregation, the young couples that came there. I shepherd everybody, but it included the young couples. Notice the, the gracious shepherding method. There are two staffs, which are symbolic pictures. This shows God's extra care. A, a shepherd really only needed one staff, and God says, I've got two. And it's gracious care because their characteristics and kindness show uh, uh, the good shepherd. Calvin says, God would surpass all the care and pains of men in governing that people. He tells you, I have two staffs, and what are they? Favor and union in a number of translations, and beauty and bands in another. Fortunately, this is interpreted for us in some later verses, but at face value, uh, the translations bring out the gracious character of, uh, of these words. Uh, there's union. There's favor. Uh, the correct picture of Zechariah's ministry and, and Christ's ministry is gracious care over the flock. In contrast to the false shepherds. In contrast to anybody who's just going to use them and, and abuse them. 
passages like Isaiah 40, uh, 10 through 11, Jeremiah 23, and Ezekiel 34 uh, portray a great shepherd who will take care of the flock and provide for them. Uh, this, uh, this is in uh, God's plan. Uh, I'll look at the Isaiah passage uh, first. Uh, Isaiah 40, 10, and 11. Behold, the Lord Yahweh will come with strength, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will shepherd his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing used. That is a contrast to what's going on in the chapter, isn't it? That is a contrast to uh, David's view in Psalm 23. What does, the, what does God as my shepherd do? He provides for me. He takes care of me. It's a physical picture of spiritual realities. I don't really have a meal in front of my enemies. He doesn't, he doesn't take me physically out and say, well, Art, here, stay in this pasture for a while. No, he spiritually takes care of me. That's why he can sum up and say, what follows me all the days of my life? Goodness and mercy. I'm connected with the covenant God who takes care of my soul. Isaiah knew it. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 1, 1 through 6. Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, I'm going to turn to a few places, but uh, Jeremiah 23. Here's a, here's a combination. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. That's exactly what we're talking about. And then declares Yahweh. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who are shepherding my people, you have scattered my flock and banished them and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to tend to you for the evil of your deeds. It's exactly what's going on in Zechariah. What are you going to do for, for, with, to those shepherds? Or what are you going to do? Both the people and the shepherds will be judged. Then I myself, God says in verse 3, will gather the remnant of my flock. Just like it says, hence the afflicted of the flock. You minister to them all, but you save some. Out of the land where I had banished them and caused them to return to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. And I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will shepherd them and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be left unattended, declares Yahweh. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. It's a, it's a branch passage uh, pointing to the true shepherd, the ultimate shepherd. We're charged as pastors in 1 Peter 5. Shepherd the flock. Do it because the great shepherd's coming. The true shepherd is coming. You are shepherding in the eyes of the great shepherd. And, and that's the idea. And there's different views about these words. One person says it's the preaching of Christ, which was gracious, but, but harsh. It, it showed favor, but it was binding on people. Somebody said it was the two covenants. Somebody said it was the favor of God with per covenant union. But there also is the division of the kingdom in two parts. He says, I'm going to break the brotherhood. And, and, and fortunately... Uh, people look and say, yeah, the brotherhood was finally broken when the Romans destroyed uh, the city. Webb says, together the two staffs symbolize the blessedness of life in covenant relationship with God. 
What shepherd carries two staffs? What shepherd stands when the wolf comes and prevents the sheep from being hurt? Only a shepherd like Zechariah, only a shepherd like the Lord Jesus Christ. And thankfully, in answer to the prophecy of Jeremiah, there are shepherds living today, pastors and teachers who are concerned about the flock in the right way. And we should pray for everybody we know who's a faithful shepherd and say, God, make them more faithful. Make them, make them solid. How we've suffered over the last couple of years hearing about these churches that are destroyed by shepherds. It's my way or the highway. And people are treated with contempt for having any idea or any opinion that's different than this guy. That's wrong. So the interpretation is that Yahweh intends blessing. But notice the interpretation also is in the context. Notice verse 10. After the, the, the sinning of the people, he says, I cut the staff of favor in half. And the LSB says, breaks the covenant which I had cut. That's the... Uh, uh, in Hebrew, it's literally cut a covenant. He breaks it. Verse 14, the union staff is cut in pieces. He says, I'm going to break the brotherhood of Judah and Israel. I intended with both hands filled with staffs of favor and union to shepherd this people, but now I'm, I'm breaking it. Uh, he intended to send his son as the Messiah, to be the shepherd, and they rejected him. And he said, that's it. That's the last straw. The nation was divided in the past. They're suffering from the judgment at the pre present time, and they'll be completely divided and destroyed in the future. The result will be no temptation, the no, temp no temple, the people will be dispersed and there'll be no system of worship even to corrupt. But false teachers are, are not far behind according to the epistles. Zechariah says, so I shepherded the flock. The Lord has always sent gracious leaders and faithful prophets to guide his flock. In uh, Warfield's uh, essay, you might call it, The Emotional Life of Our Lord. He mentions things like this. It was a hallmark of Jesus' ministry. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's the idea. The Pharisees and scribes pulled back the Old Testament prophets uh, or the Old Testament false prophets pulled back. I'm not going to take care of them. I I'm out for my own. I, I want to say, uh, uh, praise the Lord and, and get money and, and gain it for myself. That's our context. And God says, that's not what I want. However, the people were, were doomed. Matthew Henry says, they courted their own destruction. You can imagine that if her name was destruction. And I said, destruction, would you like to go out, get some food? Oh, that was a great, that was a great first date destruction. How about another one? That's what the people did. 
All those warnings, right? We can think of all the prophets, all those warnings. And they courted destruction. Come on, destruction, let's go out again. I want to see more of you. I'm starting to get used to you. They courted destruction, and then here it comes in verse 8. I believe we'll finish with verse 8. Then I annihilated the three shepherds in one month, for my soul was impatient with them, and their soul also was weary of me. You, you know it. You think of Jesus' ministry. Wow. What was his relationship with the people, the shepherds, who supposed to be rulers? There was constant stuff. John chapter 5. What are you doing this stuff on the Sabbath for? My father works until now, and I am working. Were you saying God works on the Sabbath too? Yes, I am. What did they do? They started to figure out how to destroy him. So we'll look, Lord willing, at the annihilation of the three shepherds. The time, and remember it's an enacted parable. So that, so that... So, the, so the, the parable, it's an enacted parable. So the time, we're not going to say, well, this happened. This has to happen in a certain period of time. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not favoring that view. And then we'll look at the spiritual or conflict and we'll focus on the shepherds and the spiritual aspects of the entire chapter. And, and my thoughts are led away from any physical three people that got destroyed. Uh, I found out, I found out in my 12 commentaries that there's almost 40 uh, uh, ideas on who these three shepherds are. So I have 12 and they let me know that this guy said that and these guys said that, this or this or this. I, I believe that the whole intention of the passage is spiritual and not physical. So views such as this being three world empires, the Maccabean kings, the last three kings in Israel, the, the, uh, the, the uh, three other kings that came along sometime, and everybody, everybody who figures, tries to figure this out, they restrict to the, to the time. Uh, so they, uh, they come up on it. I'm not in the right spot. But they, but they come and they say one month, oh, we have to find three people that got moved around or were annihilated in one month, one physical month. I don't think that's the right way. It's an enacted parable. So I don't think, I think the, the time thing led me to look at a, different, at a different angle. Here is the annihilation or destruction of false shepherds. False shepherds and prophets have a special place in the eyes of Almighty God. It's not a good place. It's a special place, though. He says, I'm going to make sure uh, that you pay. His determination to bring them to judgment and ruin is found in multiple passages. I, I think this is uh, the, the last one, Jeremiah uh, uh, chapter 2, uh, verses eight, 8 and 9 and verse 26. The priest did not say, where is Yahweh? And those who handle the law did not know me. How do you do that? The shepherds also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not profit. Does it sound like a 
Does it sound like a whitewashed tomb to you? Does it sound like somebody who prefers people to say, hi, rabbi? Yeah. My people die for lack of knowledge. I mention it now, but it's in my notes. The people suffered. They didn't even, they weren't even taught about the Lord. And then he says, therefore, I will yet contend with you. And with your sons, I will contend. He says, I'm coming after you, you false prophets. Jeremiah 2, 26, the last, the last, as the thief is shamed when he is found, so the house of Israel is shamed. They, their kings, their princes, and their priests, and their prophets. And that's important because he's, he's naming the structure of their nation, isn't he? And those are the people that I believe that God is going to go after. Those are the people that are going to get wiped out. Maybe not in one physical month, but he's going to completely overturn the whole system in Israel. And it will be a judicial deserved act. The ongoing conflict is delineated by Yahweh with the promise of ruin and judgment. The Jeremiah passage mentions those who handle the law, shepherds and prophets. That's who it mentions. Kings, princes, priests, and prophets. But the false prophets, that's who it mentions. It points to the legal issues or the law issues. Idolatry, apostasy, unbelief. They did not know me. You can think of what Jesus says. This people draws near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They don't know God, but they talk about him. Their sin and disobedience, false prophecy, and this vain walk of life, that's just in those three verses we read. An array of sinful behavior that poured down its influence and damning effect on God's people. We saw it last week. You go far and wide to make another disciple, and he's twice as bad as you are when you're done. It all started with Jeroboam. Remember, think of it. Past, present, future. What did Jeroboam do? Look, here's the quote. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods of Israel that brought you out. And he's pointing them, he's pointing them to the golden calves that they made. I don't know if you know it. I recently learned more about this, but the Egyptians worshipped a golden calf named Api, A-P-I or Apis. And there was other names too. Where did the, where did the Israelites get the idea? They didn't, all, they're, they're, they didn't only want to go back for leeks and onions. They, 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 they were comfortable with false worship. What a terrible thing. And the, and the guy, we saw it. What does he do? Well, I'm going to set up some priests. I'm going to set up some prophets. we got to get some religious holidays going because this is a new nation we have here. Considering the spiritual influences, Zechariah, Zechariah may be referring in this enacted parable to those that he already addressed in chapter 10, 2, 2 and 3. He talks about diviners who have false visions. He talks about false shepherds. He talks to them that they're male goats. The one translates it leaders. That's what they are. Uh, remember, remember the, the, uh, the, the, that Zechariah perished 
and we said, well, it couldn't be this other Zechariah, and maybe Zechariah's death was not recorded, but these people that he spoke against um, possibly eventually got to him and killed him. We're tired of hearing what you have to say, Zechariah. Who specifically they are to Zechariah, we may not know. It doesn't say he preached against this man or that man or this man, but definitely diviner shepherds and male goats and all the false prophets, he preached against them. Now, the passage that helped me most, and maybe we'll get through this, uh, is Luke uh, chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. Uh, and uh, that goes with Matthew 23, 13 to 36. So it's the woes uh, that are there. Uh, 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 Trapp says of this, they are sent to hell by a chain shot of eight lengths of woes. And the chain shot I learned about this week, it was interesting. In, uh, in uh, naval warfare, they used to split a cannonball or attach two cannonballs together by a chain. And they would put it down the barrel. And when it shot, it didn't go straight because the, 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 back, the back ball was propelled faster than the front. And the chain would spin and, and do different things. And that was to blast against the rigging and all the sails on the other ship because it would just crazily go over there and, and tear things apart. And Trapp says this was Jesus's. They're sent to hell by a chain shot of eight links. Uh, Matthew has those woes. They're more than Luke's passage. And he says this chain shot just comes across. And now the, the summary of the passage. Jesus sits down to eat. And the guy is surprised that he doesn't take this ceremonial cleaning like they said. And remember, Pastor Gary's been talking about that. You scrubbed it. You scrubbed yourself if you came in. If you were near any Gentiles, you better get a good scrubbing. My mom used to check me out, but that was behind your ears of this. And I don't know what was so important about behind your ears. But if your back, back of your ears were clean, you were really clean. And they question Jesus. And Jesus says, heart charity is what makes you clean. The problem is you're tied up with all the outward things. And that's what he starts to tell them. And here comes in verse 42, the first well. You're concerned about the outward and not the inward. You have no heart for justice and love. That's the false shepherds. That's the false climate that they had. Verse 43 of Luke you want the best places and, and the greetings. You want the preeminence. Hi, Pastor Mink. How are you? Oh, she called me pastor. He called me pastor. I'm, I'm going to walk in the church. People are going to see me. I'm the pastor. I'm the pastor. Can you imagine that people actually thought that that, that really was going to do something? I'm going to go down. I'm going to go down to Titus Landing tomorrow. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell people I'm fasting. I'm going to pray out loud right by bells. But that's what they did. That's what he told them that they did. You want all the best places. The second, that's the second woe. The third woe, it says, you're like concealed tombs. People walk over you. They don't even know they're walking over you. All this shows there is absolutely no connection to the people. And then comes the thing that really started to help me to see who are these three people that, that, get, that God gets rid of. 
a scholar of the law pipes up and says, by saying these things, you insult us too. And Jesus doesn't say, I'm sorry. He's got three woes for them. Three woes. You're insulting us. The, the word is used to, to mock. In Luke 18, uh, 32, they, they mock Jesus. Or, or it's used to scoff. It's proper that it's insult. The guy says, you're, you're insulting us. It's proper. Jesus didn't mock them. He was dead serious about what he said. You're already insulting, but now you need to know you're insulting us too. And he turns the chain shot right at the scholars of the law with three woes. In verse 45, 47, and verse 52, he says, I got news for you. You're exactly the same as those people, and you're insulted because it's the truth about you. The first woe, you place heavy burdens on others and don't bear them yourselves. Uh, that's the perfectionist mentality. That's the law mentality. And it, 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 nitpicking, we might say in our day. Oh, you didn't clean up. Oh, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. You didn't do this. And the second person is always under obligation. Always under obligation. I wish you'd put the toilet seat down. I wish you would do this. I wish you would do that. I want you to do this. Why don't you do that? And the second person is under obligation. Well, that's what they did. And Jesus said, you just put burdens on people. And you don't even do it. You don't even examine yourself as carefully as you examine other people. The second woe, you build the tombs of the prophets. Your fathers killed them. You witnessed it and you approved and you're going to kill in the future. That's what he says. You're all connected. You build tombs posthumously by continuing to go against God's messengers. Another messenger comes and you say, we, well, this man, we don't want to listen to him. And you're confirming that you would have been just like your fathers and buried the guy if you could. Zechariah, I'm not listening to him. Let's kill him. Jeremiah, we don't want to listen to him. Throw him in the cistern. Amos, look, the king is mad enough for you. Why don't you just go back to where you came from? That's the idea. And these people built on that because they didn't see Christ as the Messiah. The summary, the wisdom, it says the wisdom of God said, I believe it's Jesus saying it now. Notice, <coughs> Apostles have not even been sent out yet. And he says, apostles and prophets, the past and the future will be the same. And Jesus, as the wisdom of God, says, this is what's going to happen. The third well, you've taken away the key of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You took it away. You did not enter and you hindered those who are entering. Rabbi, I'd really like to know the right way of, uh, of living before God. I've heard of Yahweh's work in the past and the great things that he did, his covenant mercies. I want to learn. And I'll come over here, my son. We'll, we'll study some of the Mishnah. We'll study some of the scribes. That's what they did. They hindered those who were entering. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge and God rejected. And um, here's, here's the wiping out, I believe, because there's two conclusions in verse 50 and 51. Jesus says, all these things will be what? Charged against this generation. 
I believe that th this is the this is the wiping out of the shepherds. It's not a month, but it's fast, isn't it? And then he repeats it again, verse fifty-one. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Who is going to be wiped out? Who is going to bear the ultimate penalty for all this sin against the prophets? The Israelites of that day. And Rome will come and wipe out their whole system and everything uh, forever. The parable of the landover, landowner, Mark 12. I'm going to send this one. I'm going to send that one. I'm going to send this one. And I'm going to send that one. And the ultimate thing is what? I'm going to send to my son. And they said, no. We're going to kill him too. That's the parable. It's being fulfilled in the, in the passage in Luke. The result, the scribes and Pharisees began to be very hostile. Uh, that's, the, that's the Zechariah passage. We'll, we'll have to end with this if I, can, if I can find it. Then I annihilated the three shepherds in one month. Why? For my soul was impatient with them, and their soul was weary of me. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And when the scribes and Pharisees heard what Jesus said, the result is they began to be very hostile. Uh, and we'll have to spend uh, uh, next week uh, uh, finishing this up. Uh, I, I, I truly believe, if you want to know, that the, the, three, the three people that are, that are wiped out are the three offices of Christ. Uh, T.V. Moore helped me again. He becomes the true prophet, the true priest, and the true king. Those are the people that are wiped out, and he becomes the only one for the church uh, throughout history and into eternity. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for these things. We're thankful for the old paths. Uh, that we can look up reliable men and study reliable people, uh, that we can actually see the footprints in the path through the wilderness. How, how could we decide what of 40 views is right, Lord, unless you guide us and let us? Help us, Lord, not to come up with reason 41, uh, but to follow those paths. And we're thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that he truly is the King of Israel, and the king in our hearts. We're thankful that we truly will hear from him in his prophetic office today. And we're thankful that already in his priestly ministry, in our prayers, he has heard our prayers and he ever lives to make intercession for his people. We're thankful that we're under his care. We're thankful that we're under his kindness. We're thankful that we can say, the Lord Jesus Christ is my shepherd. In his name we pray. Amen.